0: Dive back into the book of Romans and jump back in to see what Paul, the writer, is saying to the church in Rome. But before I get into the book of Romans, I need to actually rewind the tape. And I need to go back to the beginning. Because this story starts right at the very beginning of the Bible. Now, the Bible starts off, as many of you will know, pretty positively. God makes the world, it's pretty good. God makes people, man and woman. Eh, Things are pretty good. And everything is going kind of great until, of course, that fateful moment when Adam and Eve plucked a piece of fruit from a tree and ate it. And that just messed everything up. Because God said, don't do that. And they did it anyway. And so they ate the fruit, which, you know, it's probably not an apple, but That's what I had in my kitchen. So they plucked the fruit, they had it, and then this thing called sin enters the world, and it just messes everything up. And we have this brokenness that comes into our lives and it just takes over, and everybody since that moment has alienated themselves from God by rebelling against Him. It kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it, that if God hadn't put the tree in the garden, would sin exist? Would we have all of the problems that we have? If he'd just put the tree, I don't know, somewhere else. It's a little thing to think about, but anyway... They did, he did, and they did, and so the story of the Bible continues, and for the next eight chapters, things get pretty bleak. There's a lot of murdering, there's a lot of bad stuff happening, and there's a big flood because God's kind of like, I've got to set this right, and that doesn't work, and then there's a big tower built, and so God scatters everybody across the world, and everything is looking very, very dark. But then we get to Genesis chapter 12, and in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram. Which we know him as Abraham. Very good. All right. Now you're listening. That's great. So we get this guy, Abraham. Abraham, or Abraham as he's known, is the first hero of the Bible. He's the first step that God takes in his story to bring people back to himself. Right? And so he gives Abraham this amazing promise in Genesis chapter 12. And it goes like this, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Remember, everything up until this point has pretty much been curses. But now he's saying, I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And this is the key part, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the game changer. This is the moment. The entirety of human history pivots on this moment because this is the moment when we had messed things up and God starts to bring things back, right? So Abraham is a big deal. And the nation that came from his family would bring salvation to the world. And then later in chapter 17, God reiterates the promise and he seals it with the sign of circumcision, which you can pop that back up in chapter 17. There you go. You are to undergo circumcision, painful, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. So what we have here, um, as the story continues, you see that his family, the family of Abraham, grows up and does become a nation. And then through that nation, through a man named Moses they are rescued from slavery, and God commissions them into his special nation. He says, out of all of the nations of the world, I'm choosing you guys. You guys are going to be my peeps. You guys are going to have things going for you, and this is really wonderful. And so he's got this, his representatives of the world, and he accompanies that with the law of Moses, which is this long set of rules which tells the people of that nation, the people of Israel, that you how to reconnect with God. You tracking me so far? You following the story? Okay, so this set of rules, this law helps people to become righteous or right before God. Okay, so Abraham then becomes the father of the Jewish faith. He becomes this pivotal character. And because of Abraham, the Jewish people, the people of the nation of Israel can claim to be children of the promise. They can claim to be chosen by God. They can claim to be sealed by circumcision and they can claim to be guided by the law. This is the identity of the Jewish people. Does that make sense? And it is a big deal. This is their ticket to getting back to the Garden of Eden. This is their way of reconnecting to God. This is everything. Now comes along Paul. And Paul is writing the book of Romans. And he says to everybody, actually, no, that's not your ticket. Actually, the law, the circumcision, it's not what you need. we actually, that's not going to help you at all. We tried it, it failed. And he just pours cold water over all of this stuff. And he says, actually, what you need is faith. You need faith in Jesus. And by the way, anyone can have faith in Jesus. It's not just the Jewish people, it's anybody. And so this is good news for us, obviously, because, you know, we're, mostly all Gentiles. So, you know, we we actually benefit from this because we do not have a blood relation to Abraham. And so this is good for us. But can you imagine if you were a Jewish Christian, so you were part of the church in Rome, you had grown up with the heritage of Abraham and Moses and the law. This has been your whole life. This was your ticket and you had accepted Jesus, but you're still trying to figure this out. And then this comes along and Paul is telling you actually none of this helps you get into the kingdom of God and you've got to be starting to think and maybe this question is starting to rise in your mind as well when you read the book of Romans is this if it's all about faith then what the heck was the point of the whole Old Testament what is the point of the Jewish tradition what is the point in any of this stuff Why have the law, was the Jewish story, the narrative, the the history to the tradition, the religion, all of it, is that pointless? Is it for nothing? Well, Paul must have heard you, because he says right at the end of chapter 3, verse 31, he says, do we then nullify the law by this faith? That's the same question. And he says, not at all, rather we uphold the law. And then he immediately explains himself by going back to the story of Abraham. And so chapter 4, the chapter that we're looking at today, he jumps back into the story of Abraham. This is what he says. He says, (laughs) That's not a word. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, He had something to boast about because, like you said, this guy was the the real deal. He was the promise giver. He was the one who started it all off. He's the father of the nation. He would have something to boast about, but actually not before God because, as we said, none of this stuff actually helps us to become right with God. What does the Scripture say? And then back in the Old Testament, it says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Adam believed, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. All right, now let's jump down to verse 9. He says Is this blessedness, is this promise only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Is it just for the Jewish people or for all people? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him or given to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of that righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness may be credited to them as well. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. All right. How are you going? Why say it simply when you can say it more complicated? This is Paul's ethos. This is what he likes to do. Okay, so hang on. We're not in that um, passage yet. So the Jewish Christians in Rome may have been feeling that with this idea of faith, Paul is tearing down the Old Old Testament tradition, right? The whole Jewish tradition, he's saying, no, actually, we're going to throw that away and we're going to start a new thing. And in fact, a lot of Christians today believe the same thing, that it was just sort of torn down. But instead, what he is doing is he's not tearing it down. He is clarifying what the Old Testament covenant actually was all right and for him the key is timing when did this stuff happen when did uh, abraham when was he right with god and why he was right with god not because he was circumcised he was right with god before he was circumcised Before the law came into effect, before there was a nation, before any of that sort of stuff, there was only one thing. And what was that? Faith. He believed God and that made him right before him. So what he is saying is the key to all of this, the key to everything is not the law, it's faith. It was always about faith. It was faith from the very beginning, which again begs the question, so what's with the law? If it was all about faith, why did we need to have the law? Because it seemed to have caused more problems than it solved. It didn't seem to be any good. It was a lot of rules. It was very restrictive. It was very harsh. Some of it is quite difficult to read. Why did he bring that into place? Well, again, Paul hears you. You've got a real good connection with Paul at the moment. This is great. So Paul jumps in. We're going to fast forward a little bit into chapter 7 now because he he comes back and he answers this very question. Now, hold on to your seats here because he does get a little bit deep. But here we go. He says in verse 7 of chapter 7, he says, What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, and this is key, I would not have known what sin was... If it had not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. Uh, for apart from the law, sin was dead. For once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. This is the story of the whole Old Testament. This is the story of everybody. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment, put me to death. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which was good then become death to me by no means? Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what was good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, hey Huxley, through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. All right, you catch that? You're good with this? Easy, right? Okay, so Paul's got his professor hat on at the moment, okay? So he's spouting off deep theology and he's having a grand old time and he's like up here and and even other Bible authors say, yeah, Paul's a little hard to understand sometimes. So what I want to try and do is help explain things with a friend of mine. You guys know this guy? Who's this? Cookie Monster! Cookie, be one cookie. (laughs) Okay. So Cookie Monster, he finds himself in a lot of trouble, doesn't he? He gets himself into all sorts of messes because he keeps stealing everybody's cookies and he keeps making a mess on the carpet and he just gets into all sorts of problems because of cookies. He loves cookies. Now, let me ask you a question Would Cookie Monster be a monster if there were no cookies? Would Cookie Monster be a monster if there were no cookies? Is it the cookies that are the problem? Here's the thing. He would never steal any cookies. He would never make a mess on the carpet. He would never be considered a monster, right? However, he would still want cookies. In his heart, he still wants cookies. And as soon as it appears, it springs to life and it takes over And causes all the problems. Yeah? Does that make sense? So conventional wisdom would say, well, that's easy. Just don't give him any cookies. (laughs) Don't show him the cookies. No cookies, no temptation, no problem, right? Except there is still a problem. Cookie Monster still has a sickness. Assuming in this scenario that wanting cookies is a sickness. Which I hope not, because (laughs) I really like cookies. He still has a desire for cookies that, given the chance, would take over, take control, and get him into trouble. Yes? That is a problem. This is true of humanity as well. Right? We get into trouble all of the time because we're tempted to do wrong things. Yes? But what if there was no temptation? What if God never gave us the opportunity to do something wrong? We would never do anything wrong. Right? Take away the cookies, no problem. Like in the Garden of Eden, I asked you, why put the tree in the garden in the first place? You could have put that tree, if it had to exist at all, anywhere. Put it in the Amazon jungle, I'll never find it. Put it on the moon, put it somewhere. Don't put it in the Garden of Eden where the people are. That's just bad planning. If you don't want Adam and Eve to eat the fruit, don't put the fruit in front of them. That's conventional wisdom. However, there is a problem. We have inside of us a choice to follow God's instructions or not. And we will, given the opportunity, not follow him. Right? This is pretty basic stuff. We will, we see it in our kids. You tell your kids, don't touch that. What are they going to do? They're going to touch that. They didn't even want to touch that. Now they want to touch it. Now they have to touch it. We will choose our own way. History has shown us this. We are sick and we need God to make us better. Yeah? However, how do you convince us that we're sick? If the cookie monster had never had any cookies, how would you convince him that he had a cookie problem? And how would we be convinced that we have a heart problem if we never have an opportunity to rebel against God? So God gave us a big heaping plate of cookies called the law. No, you can't have them. (laughs) Immediately, Ryder, immediately he wants the cookies. I love that. The law is not the problem the law simply shows us what our problem is does that make sense paul says in fact the, the law is good it, it, the law is a picture of who god is the law is it shows us his heart it shows us so much of the beauty of god the way he wants us to love each other the way he wants us to live in harmony with each other all of that sort of stuff. the law is beautiful but just like Paul tells us, the presence of the law gave our rebellious hearts an opportunity to show itself. Just like it says in verse 11, for sin, having uh, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment by the Lord, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. So the law is not just an annoying thing that God maybe shouldn't have done. It was critical. We needed the law. It was absolutely important because without the law, we would not know how sick we were. Right? We needed that law to show us. We needed opportunity after opportunity, hundreds of opportunities to follow God or not follow God so that we could see no matter what was going on, no matter how God showed himself, no matter how many miracles he did, no matter how often he came in and saved the day, we would choose ourselves. We would choose to rebel. We would choose to not follow him. We needed to see that sickness in our hearts so that we would throw ourselves at God's feet and we would say to him, we need you. We need you to help us. We need you to cure us. We need you to give us hope. We need you to give us something that is going to to heal our hearts. We cannot do this by ourselves. We need that promise you gave us. We need something. Like he says um, in, in chapter 7 verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Paul says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And that's the key. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. The law which showed me that I was broken prompts me to dive into the hope that God had been giving us that there would be a Messiah. That there would be someone who would come to save us. There would be someone who would rescue us. Someone who would take care of the problem. The law showed me how much I needed him. And so that I put my trust in him. I put myself in his hands because I cannot follow this. The law showed me that I needed what? Faith. So faith is not contrary to the law. Faith did not replace the law. Faith is what the law pointed us to. It started with faith And the law was there to point us back to faith. That's the story. That's the story of the Old Testament. That's the story of what Paul is trying to see there. Can you see that? It's all about trusting God. All right, so you're probably thinking, well, thanks, Hamish. That was a nice little history lesson there. I appreciate that, but we're not under the law. It's kind of thousands of years ago, so why do we care? Well, first of all, you're welcome. Second of all, I think this is really important because, well, first, A, we still try to create laws for ourselves, don't we? We still try to live in a system of law. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We're still trying to create laws of of rules of making ourselves right with him. We almost want to put ourselves in a situation so that we can test ourselves and get right with God by ourselves. And again, God gives us the story to show us, no, that's never going to happen. But also I believe this shows us a little bit of the heart of what God is doing in our lives. Now, we may not have the law anymore, but I still believe God operates in our lives in a very similar way. Things that he lets happen in our lives. Situations he allows to come into us. Temptations, he does not tempt us, but he certainly allows temptation to come into our lives so that we will once again see our need for him. Does that make sense? So you may be having a bit of a rough time right now. You may be facing a situation where you are tempted to just give up. I've had conversations with people who just, there's so much going on in their life and it is just so horrible and it's just so hard and they're just like, I just don't know if I can keep carrying on. I'm sorry you're facing that. I really am. And I don't mean that this is the reason why you are facing these situations. This is, this, I, I don't pretend to know the, the mind of God. But I do know that he is going to use this situation to remind you that there is nothing you can do but trust him. Faith is the key. Faith brings you to the right place before God, putting our lives in his hands, it's going to take us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It takes us all the way back to that place where we were right with God, where we and God were walking side by side. It is not any laws. It is not any rules. It is going to only be trusting in God. That's our promise. That's what he wants to imprint on our hearts.